0: Well, good morning, Golden Corner. Good to see you. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along with me in your Bible this morning, why don't you turn to the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, this morning, we're starting a brand new sermon series entitled, People You Should Know Jesus. And so for the next few months, I think, maybe several months, would that be okay? Okay. We're going to be working our way through the book of Luke, and uh, our objective in this series is we want to get to know Jesus better than we know Him now, hopefully better than we've ever known Him. So that is our goal in the series. Now, each week, I'm going to make known to you the text I'll be preaching from the following Sunday, and I'm going to be using my blog, which is called Ronnie's Blog. See? See? Y'all remember that creative title, and uh, so uh, we started this last week, and and I posted the the text that we would be looking at here, and I had 788 views of my blog this week. So I know some of you went on there, and some of you are reading along with me. Five of those views came from Russia. See? You didn't know you had an internationally known pastor? That had to be some mistake. Can you imagine somebody online late one night going, what? uh, But uh, I do appreciate it. And each week there will be clues, things that will help you understand the passage of Scripture. And and then I'll come and I'll share my thoughts. But I do know that many of you have read this passage and you've reflected on this passage this week. And so this morning I just want to come and share my thoughts uh, with you. And so we're going to start reading in chapter 2, verse number 1. And I remind you, every week. We're looking for two things. There are two things we want to discover. Now, I'm going to say this this morning. I probably won't say this again, but I want you to, every week when you're reading, I want you to look at the Bible two ways. I want you to see the Bible as the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, this book is the primary means that Jesus has taken to, to uh, reveal himself to us, to show us who he is like. like how he works, how he operates. And so, you know, as we come to each passage, that's what you're looking for. You want to discover something about Jesus. But there's a second thing we want to discover. We want to discover some practical lessons. The Bible, here's the second way I want you to look at the Bible. As you read that it's the how-to book for living. It's the how-to book for life. And in the, on the pages and every text we're going to be looking at in this study, there are lessons, practical lessons that if applied, applied are going to enrich our lives. And so even as we begin reading this text, as we read together, you be looking. Okay? A revelation about Jesus Christ, a practical lesson to be applied to our lives today. Okay, let's start. Ready? Chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for this census. Now, let's, let's see if we understand exactly what's going on. Somebody in the Roman government suspected that Rome was not collecting all the taxes they were due. So they came up with an idea. We need to take a census. We need to have everybody register so that we can make sure we know everybody that's supposed to be paying taxes. And so the powers that be heard the idea, liked the idea, and so... Caesar Augustus, Emperor of Rome, decreed that it be so. Now that's a powerful word. It means that he didn't ask his constituency to try this. Would you help us out with this? He made it law. He made it mandatory that everybody had to participate in the census and to register. He had to go back to the ancestral town, their family's ancestral town. Now look what happens next. Verse number four. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, and look at this. This is what a decree does for you. He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. So this census, this mandate, this decree affected a young Jewish couple named Joseph and Mary. Now, I'm assuming that one of the questions you had when you read this is why would a decree from Rome affect a Jewish couple? Well, at this time, Israel had been swallowed up by the Roman Empire and they were operating under Roman rule. And so the word comes to Joseph that you've got to go to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was 70 to 95 miles south of Nazareth. So he knew this is the journey I got to take. And even though it was south to go to Bethlehem, you went up because you had to go up in elevation through all these mountain passes to get to Bethlehem. So he knows this is what I've got to do. So Joey, he also understood this I got to go home and I got to tell Mary. Huh? Now, Mary, there's a reason she's obviously pregnant. She's nine months pregnant and due any moment. So Joseph goes home and says, honey, I I tell you what uh, I'd like for us to do. Could you throw a few things together? I'd like for us to take a little trip. I just imagine her next question was, where? I mean, (laughs) where? He says, "Uh, Bethlehem. Bethlehem? She knew. This this, this is 70 to 95. Let me give you some perspective. Say, how far was this? Any of you ever go to Gatlinburg or, or Pigeon Forge? Any of you, would you raise your hand? Anybody ever go to Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge? You ever gone there through Cherokee? Well, if you go from here to Cherokee, you go all the way through Cherokee, you come to that little pioneer farmstead, you go another couple of miles. You know what that is? That's about 90 miles. You say, how do you know that? Because I go there to fish Bradley Fort Creek. It's about 90 miles. So, he, so he, she realizes he, we're about to take this trip of 90 miles, no minivan, no truck, no car. She's, she's going to get there one of two ways. Either she's going to walk or she's probably going to ride on a donkey. Now, for you moms, when you were nine months pregnant, do you at any moment, what if your husband had approached you and said, hey, Let's take a 90-mile hike through the mountains together. Oh, honey, if you don't want to walk, i got this mule out here that you can ride, and I'll walk. i got to believe that she saw this as a major inconvenience. You know what she did? She did it. This was a trip that required multiple days. Uh during this trip, I'm sure that Mary had to sleep on the ground. Now, any of you moms, how easy was it to find a comfortable place in your bed when you were nine months pregnant? She's sleeping on the ground. Don't you know that this was a wonderful little extended vacation for this couple? I think not. I think she was miserable, and I know that he was miserable. Thank you, thank you, guys. Yeah, listen, they didn't go back later and look through the photo albums. So you remember when we po- went over this mountain? And, you know, no. listen, they both tried to forget that. Now I got to imagine though that when he's, you know, when he's crossing these mountains, that he's thinking to himself, Whew. "Now, when I get this little woman into town." I'm getting her a good room with a hot bath and a soft bed, and i gotta make, I got to make up some lost ground here. And so they get to Bethlehem. Look what they discover. Verse number 6. It says, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, a feeding trough, because there was no lodging available for them in this town. So you're Joseph, and I'm telling you what, Maybe you've even started telling her, honey, if you'll just be patient. Just endure another day, another night on the hard ground. We're coming to Bethlehem. I'm going to get you the best room in the town. You just wait and see. Maybe he's doing that. I would have been. Anything. I'll take you to the gift shops. So I'll buy you whatever. Just hang with me just a little while longer. They get to Bethlehem, and they go to the inn, and, all, and listen, Bethlehem, it's teeming with people. It's kind of like Myrtle Beach on the Fourth of July. There were people everywhere. They come to the inn, and there's this big "no vacancy" sign. Man, if I'm Joseph, listen, I'm in there flashing money. I'm begging. I'm pointing at my prayer. Anything I can do, you know, beg, borrow. I, I just need a room, guy. No, no room. They may have gone to this seedy motel on the other side of the tracks in Bethlehem. Nothing. Maybe they went to the uh, campground down by the river. Nothing. You know what this, this, this phrase, there was no lodging available, you know what it means? There was no lodging suitable for a human being to be found in Bethlehem. I don't know how Joseph sold this, but he made a pitch. You know, there's no place for people like us, but there's some places for animals where the animals are kept, maybe we could stay there. Now, some people say it was a stable. Some people say it was a cave. Some people say it was an open-air corral. But wherever it was, it's where the animals were kept. And that's where they ended up. And Mary was once again sleeping on the ground. I couldn't help but put myself in her place, and that really wasn't fair. Ladies, you know, maybe you ought to put yourself in her place. But I can tell you what, the last few days of her life have not been good. At this point in her pregnancy, this young woman should have been in her bed in close proximity to her family. She should have been near her doctor or her midwife or whomever was going to help deliver the child, but instead she's here. With nobody but old Joseph, and I'm telling you what, he's not panning out to be a real good guy, dear. I tried tried to think what she must have been thinking, and being kind of uh, skeptical and, and sarcastic myself, you know, a little bit prone to complain, I tell you what I'd have been thinking if I was her lying there on the ground. I'd have been thinking, you know, it would be just my luck if the baby came while I was here. guess what? She had a contraction. At some point, she had that initial contraction. I believe she's thinking, surely that wasn't what I think it was. Surely. I be- Maybe she's even praying, oh God, please no. And then there was another and another, and they began to get closer and closer together, and she finally has to wake old Joseph up. And right there, in this corral, stable, cave, whatever it was, she gave birth to her first child, a son. And that son was Jesus. Now think about this. Jesus was the king of the Jews. They'd been waiting on him a long time. A king was born. Is this the way you would imagine that going down? I would imagine this king being born in a palace with the best medical staff Probably would have even had televised coverage. The king has been born. Not this king. Born in obscurity. Do you know who else this was? This was God in a baby's body. God was coming to, extend, to, uh, to spend extended time with man. Now, if God was showing up for an extended vacation, With mankind, is this the way you'd see him coming? Not me. Let's see what happened next. You got Jesus, he's born, he's in the feeding trough. Mary's there, Joseph is there. Look what happens next, verse number 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. I I just would give anything to have seen this. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign you will find. I think that's the key word you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. So outside town, in the fields, there's this group of shepherds doing what shepherds do. In my imagination, I see these guys as an earthy group. Uh, They may have smelled a little earthy. Now, I don't want to offend anybody by this, but can I just tell you, I picture them driving to work in Subarus and... Maybe they had dreadlocks and wore chacos. And you know what I'm talking about? Hey, I don't have anything against that crowd. I kind of identify with that crowd in a lot of ways. I'm half redneck, half hippie. There's nothing I can do about that. So they're sitting there. I think they're sitting in the dark or they've got a little campfire. All of a sudden, the whole hillside lit up. I think it kind of looked like the stream of light coming from a law enforcement helicopter. You say, Ronnie, what would you know about that? There are things about me you just don't know and I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) And all of a sudden, there's a guy standing there that hadn't been standing there. And the Bible says these guys were terrified. doesn't mean they were startled. You know, like, whoo, didn't see you there for a minute. It means they were gripped with intense It was a pull the sheets over your head and scream for mama kind of fear. The angel recognizes immediately that he has not started this process, has not introduced himself well. And he says, don't be afraid. Right, reverse that and let's see how that goes. Don't be afraid because I'm bringing you good news that eventually will be for all people. Not just you guys, not just Israel, but for all people. A Savior, the Messiah. The Lord has been born in Bethlehem. And why is he telling these guys this? I'm going to give you one reason. You Ready? One reason. He's trying to help them find Jesus. He wants these men to find Jesus. As a matter of fact, those two words the angel used, you know, I bring you good news. They come from one Greek word, evangelizo from which we get our English word evangelism that we use to describe the process of trying to help another one human being get to Jesus. You know what the angel was saying to him? I'm sharing this good news with you because I'm trying to get you to Jesus. That's what he was saying. Look what happened next. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. All of a sudden, the, 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 the hillside filled up with angels. I believe that the skies became like a balcony full of angels. This the word this term vast hope mean, vast host means ten thousands times tens thousands. In other words, there were probably over a million angels that all of a sudden just showed up. Now these weren't these effeminate, pink-cheeked Chubby little angels with a little halo and wings. Got the little harp. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> These are bad dudes. These are warriors. This was the army of heaven that showed up. And guess what this army started doing? They started worshiping. They started praising. They started praising the child who, was, who had been born in Bethlehem. And you know the King James Version, we, we, in Christmas cards and in Christmas carols, we, we, we see this phrase, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill to men. That's what they were saying, but let me tell you what that means. Glory to God in the highest, this is what they were saying. That child is going to honor the God of heaven. That's what that means. This child is going to honor the God of heaven. And they said, and he's going to bring peace to men. Now, when you think about that phrase, what do you think about? I, I picture all these Christmas cards. You open it up and it says, peace on earth. It's got a beautiful picture of gently falling snow, a pristine landscape, a fire crackling in the fireplace, and just that warm sense of peace you get during the holidays. That's not what that's talking about. He's not, they weren't talking about peace of mind. They weren't talking even about peace of God that helps you not to worry during distressing times. They were talking about peace with God. This is what they were saying. Now, this child is going to bring honor to the God of heaven, but he's going to bring peace between man and God because things weren't good. Mankind was separate from God, alienated from God. You know why? Because mankind was sinful. And the angels are praising Jesus because they're saying, Jesus is going to fix that. He's going to make things right. He's going to give, uh, bring peace. Make peace between God and man. That's what he's doing. Look what happened next. Verse number 15, when the angels had returned to heaven. So, I mean, just like that, lickety-split, gone. Just as quickly as it came. The shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a manger. They didn't waste any time. They didn't let the grass grow under their feet. They didn't say, let's get a good night's rest. I'm telling you, immediately, they pulled their things together and they struck out for Bethlehem. They felt it imminent. They felt it urgent that they find the one the angel had told them about. You know, they go into Bethlehem. It's pretty simple. He's in a feeding trough somewhere. So I believe they started to go to the different places where animals were kept. And all of a sudden, they find this couple. And there was the child lying in a manger. Now, I tried to put myself in Joseph's place. And somewhere in the wee hours of the morning, this seedy-looking bunch comes crawling into your camp. I'm telling you, I'm reaching for my knife. I'm assuming the worst. <laughs> These men quickly, I believe, told their story. Fascinating story. And the first ones they told it to, Mary and Joseph. And then they left. And look at this, what happened next. Verse 17. After seeing him, the shepherds, are you seeing this? Told everyone. They told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story said religion is a very private thing and really shouldn't be discussed among friends. Some angrily slammed the door in their face, while others said, if all you want to do is evangelize me, we can't be friends. Is that how your translation read? I might have been reading from the 21st century church translation. That happens to me sometimes. What does it say? All who heard the shepherd's story were absolutely astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart. Thought about them often. As you would. The shepherds went back to their flocks. And listen, they still hadn't got it out of their system. They're glorifying or honoring. And they're praising God. For all they'd heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And we were looking for a couple of things. We wanted to discover something about Jesus. And, and in this text, I believe that there were multiple things we could learn about him. I've only got time to share with one with you, okay? Now, here's what I learned about Jesus. People need to know about Jesus. That's what I learned about him. People need to know about Jesus. Only two people were present when Jesus was born. Mary, his mother, and Joseph, her husband. Jesus came into this world quietly, humbly, and privately. There was no media present, no paparazzi to to contend with. There was no ticker tape parade celebrating his arrival. I think at first it was just as the old Christmas carol describes, silent night, holy night. All was calm. That was about to change. In the fields outside Bethlehem, shepherds were having a close encounter of the third kind. Hope I've got some old movie buffs here this morning. It was like something straight from the X-Files. Without warning, a bright light surrounded them. And out of nowhere, a creature from another world stood among them. It was horrifying. But just before these frightened men attempted to escape abduction, the cosmic intruder identified himself as an angelic messenger sent from God. God sent an angel to tell these shepherds about Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? God sent an angel to tell this band of earthy guys about Jesus. Why? Apparently he wanted these men to find Jesus, and they did. Now why did God want these men to find Jesus? It appears that he wanted these men to know about Jesus so they could tell others about Jesus. And they did. God wants people to know about Jesus. Why do you think that is? I'll give you one reason. There are many. Jesus is the Savior. That's the first. You know the angel gave him three titles. Savior, Messiah, Lord. The first title was Savior. The title Savior implies that Jesus was on a rescue mission. You know what what the word literally means? It means one who delivers from grave danger. And takes someone... Out from under God's wrath and then brings them into a proper relationship with God. That's what that means. You know why Jesus came to earth? Because mankind was in grave danger. Our sins had separated us from God and made us objects of his wrath. So Jesus came to the world to save us. How would he do that? He would make himself the target of God's wrath by taking full responsibility for all of our sin. All of your sin, all of my sin, all of everyone's sin. He would take full responsibility and he would die in our place satisfying the law of God and the wrath of God. Have you ever wondered why Jesus had to become human? I mean, prior to Bethlehem, Jesus occasionally visited this earth in the form of an angel. Why not just come as an angel this time? This time he came to die. That's why he needed a human body. People need to know about Jesus because he's the Savior, and everybody needs a Savior. Everyone sins. Everyone. Consequently, everyone ends up in big trouble with God. And there's only one way out of this trouble. It requires a Savior. Therefore, everyone needs to know about Jesus, the one who came, died, and rose again. Everyone needs to know that Jesus can and will save them from grave danger and make them right with God. What do we learn about Jesus? People need to know about him. What do we learn about life? I mean, what was the practical lesson here? Multitude of them? i got time to share one. This is what I learned that I'm going to be applying, and I hope you do. People need to talk about Jesus. That's the practical lesson I see. How did the shepherds find out about Jesus? An angel told them. After this, how many times in the Bible do we read about angels showing up and telling human beings about Jesus? To the best of my knowledge, it never happened again. It appears to me that angels just quit telling people about Jesus. Now, didn't we just establish the fact that people need to know about Jesus? Sure we did. And what's the problem with these angels? Why have they just quit? On the night of Jesus' birth, an angel was sent by God to tell a handful of shepherds about Jesus' birth. That night, something changed. From that moment on, the responsibility of spreading the word about Jesus was passed from angels to humans. God had the angel tell the shepherds, so the angels would begin to tell others. Angels no longer tell people about Jesus. People do. What kind of people? Famous people. Now listen to me. Famous people, Right? Powerful people, successful people. I know religious people. What about eloquent people? There got to be people who are trained to do this. Let's leave it to the eloquent people. What kind of people were the first to broadcast the good news of a savior? They were ordinary people. Why not kings, politicians, and celebrities? Why not? What aren't the religious leaders? Why would God choose to use ordinary, hardworking people? Here's my thought the shepherds were believable. I mean, do you think the people in Bethlehem are going to believe they're corrupt politicians? Now listen, would you? If the news of a savior came from Washington, are you going to believe it? If it came from a televangelist, are you going to believe it? I'm sorry. I would believe a politician before I'd believe a televangelist. I'm sorry. Which means I don't believe any of them. But shepherds, what would they have to gain from telling this story? They weren't trying to sell tickets to an event. They weren't trying to raise money for their television ministry. These men had nothing to gain and that made them believable. For people to know about Jesus, ordinary people are going to have to start talking about him. Now, after his resurrection and prior to his ascension, Jesus gathered the leaders of the church together and he said, I want you to do one thing. Got it? I want you to do one thing. It's this simple. Tell people about me. Just go tell people about me. People find out about Jesus from people who have found him. Jesus. That's the way it worked then. That's the way it works now. And once I've identified my lesson about Jesus, my lesson about life, I always I try to answer another question. In light of what I've learned, what should I do? And in this case, what do you think we should do? I think it depends on who you are. If you haven't been saved, and I'm not your judge, that's between you and the Lord, I think you ought to do as the shepherds did. When they found out about the Savior, they found him just as quickly as they possible could. If you're unsaved, you're living every moment of your life in grave danger. What kind of danger? Your sins have separated you from God, and if you die in that state, you'll be separate from God for all eternity. I'm not saying that. To be condemning... I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I say that because I've got good news. You don't have to live that way. There is a Savior. Jesus will save you. All you got to do is trust in him and he will deliver you from the grave danger and he will reconcile you with your heavenly Father. Now, for those of us who have been saved, I think it's just as simple. You know what we need to do? We need to start talking about Jesus. Uh, we love Golden to church. We tell people about our church and, and we invite people to church and, and that's good. We ought to do that. However, you do understand that Golden Corner Church did not die on a cross for you. Golden Corner Church didn't have the authority to forgive your sins. And certainly Golden Corner Church did not save you. Jesus did. Then wouldn't it stand to reason that we should tell people about Him? People need to know about Him. And who makes the best messengers? Ordinary people. It's time for us to speak up. You say, Ronnie, I, I can't do that. All you got to do is what the shepherds did. They didn't go to the people of the town and say, uh, listen, if you got about, if you got, a, I don't know, a couple of hours, we'd like to kind of go over this, the incarnation of Christ that has taken place here tonight. And oh, yeah, by the way, God has taken on a human body and, uh, and Jesus is going to be 100 percent God and 100 percent divine uh, human at the same time. Now let us explain to you how that. Did you hear it? They didn't say that. They didn't say, oh, yeah, let us explain to you how all those Levitical offerings in the past were all pointing ahead in time to the ultimate sacrifice that this child is about to make. They didn't do any of that. You know what they did? They just simply went back and told people what they had heard and what they had seen. Here's what we know. You know, guys, that's all we got to do. We just need to be telling somebody what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus has already done for them. We can do that. And we should do that. I know what some of you are thinking, Ronnie, 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 I hear you. you." Uh, But uh, I don't do that. I simply lead a good life in front of people. Good, you ought to. And setting the right example, I want to tell you this. Setting the right example is critical to the evangelism process of helping people get to Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'd say it's 90 to 95% of it. I mean, as a matter of, if, listen, if you only talk a good talk but don't walk the walk, you're doing more damage than good. But if all we ever do is set the right example and never speak up, there won't be much of a harvest of people being saved. Now, think about this. How many of you farm or raise a garden? Anybody in here farm or raise a garden? Oh, my gosh, four people. This illustration is going to be absolutely worthless. <clears throat> you raise chickens, don't you, Jared? So this really won't apply to you either, will it? You're a farmer, but not in the sense I'm thinking. Well, let's just say somebody here farms. And you got your land, and you go and you buy yourself a big old tractor and all the implements. You buy tons of fertilizer. You go out there, you spend days plowing and preparing that soil. You spread that fertilizer out. Man, you get ideal growing conditions, just the right temperatures, just the right amount of rain. You put all that time, all that work and energy into this, but you never put a seed in the ground. hope do you have of a harvest? None. None. You can pray for a harvest. It ain't coming. You can stand and look at that soft, moist earth and say, God, give me corn. Give me corn. You know what God's saying? Did you plant any corn? I'm telling you what, if we go through all the hard work of of setting the right example, doing the right thing, being a good neighbor, but we never speak up. You know, the Bible says the seed is the word spoken about Jesus. If there's no seed in the ground, what are we thinking? God saved their soul. God saved their soul. God's saying, have you ever told them about me? You ever tell them about my son? Do you know how essential it is to this whole process of helping people get to Jesus? The Apostle Paul said in the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, this is the Hodge paraphrase, but I'm telling you, I'm on the money on this. This is what he said. To release the power of God that saves people. Talk about Jesus. That's what Paul said. We wonder in our generation why so few people are being saved. Paul says, if you want to release the power of God that saves people, talk about Jesus. That could be our problem. Saved people need to talk about Jesus so that unsaved people can know about Jesus. Let's bow for prayer. If you're sitting here today and and you're, you're, you're unsaved something in the sermon just struck a chord with you and, and you'd like to talk with somebody, our care pastor Mark Bagwell is going to be at guest services along with our discipleship pastor Scott Lee. They're willing to talk to you. They can help you. For those of you who are saved and you've heard the sermon, i tell you what I want you to do. I want, I, want you to, I want you to answer a question. If there was one person you could go to this very afternoon and tell them about Jesus, knowing Knowing that they would be saved. Who is that? If there was one person you could go to and tell them knowing they were going to get saved, who would it be? I want us to close by you praying for that person. you to pray that they'll come to know about Jesus and then I want you to pray for yourself that if God is willing that he would give you the opportunity to tell them about Jesus you pray that along with that opportunity he gives you courage and he gives you confidence and he gives you the words and he gives you compassion you leave here today you watch for that opportunity and when it comes take advantage of it thank you dear God in heaven for your word and thank you for Jesus in the name of in his name we pray amen okay so what's next guys go to the blog get next week's text Let's do it all again. Thank you.